Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, February 1st, 2024. As always, we're grateful to anyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered these tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Or you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. Or you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at whyagain.org, that's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. 
And if we get a comment or a question from you, we will address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so that you can listen back to the archive for your feedback or input. And we appreciate whenever anybody calls and presses one on their phone or sends us an email asking a comment or a question because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service. And that's just a whole lot easier to do when we know how these things are landing for you, what's of most benefit, whether it's the books we're reading and discussing or the worksheet processes that get done by people from time to time on the Internet show or some other aspect of the show that is... At this time, we've completed our 13th year and we're launching into our 14th year. So all kinds of topics are wide open for discussion and we'd be happy to have you contribute. What we understand in this work is that the vast majority of these shows over the years that people have said, wow, that was a great show, or that should be a special show curated out of the archives into some easy access position. The vast majority of those are shows where people just like you have called in and asked a question or made a comment or had something to refute about what's being offered. And we appreciate all of those because it's in this process of questioning and observation and dialoguing that we grow. And we we grow in our knowledge of ourselves. We grow in our knowledge of how to use these tools to best advantage. And um, we grow in our ability to help make this world a better place. One one negative emotion at a time, one targeted journaling session at a time, one reality management worksheet at a time. As we engage the use of the tools, consistently over time we have observed that it improves the quality of our lives, and that's our purpose here, is to help make this world a better place one situation at a time, one person at a time. Area code 610, you have pressed one on your phone, and you're in the air, I hope. (laughs) Yep. Hi. Hi, Dr. Kim. Welcome, Susan. (laughs) Thanks. Um, I have a testimonial, a teeny one, and then some comments about that David Gruder and Laurie Morse podcast. You set, suggested it the other day. <clears throat> but the, the testimonial, we've been talking about that chapter in the way of mastery. All events are neutral. And I use that in my teaser. What I do is send out a link to our weekly Mind Shifter group that Tim and I run and with that I put a quote from something and I just simply put you know all events are neutral and one of the women came on and she said 
I, I just can't tell you how that has helped me. She's had lupus for many years, mother of four grown children, was bedridden during the time when her children were quite young. Her husband is a medical doctor, and he managed to juggle whatever he could do around the house as well as do his work, and she felt terribly about the fact that she couldn't function fully as a mother. All four kids are in amazing shape because she was very present for them, even though she was in bed so much of the time. She's much better now, but still has health challenges. But she said for years she's been carrying around the feeling that she should have or could have done better, that she hurt her children, that this happened to her and why did this happen. And she said somehow that one sentence canceled out my all my shame and feelings of responsibility or what ifs, everything. She said it was just it was like warm water poured over a parched plant. Um, she was smiling and she said actually, and this keys right into the David Gruder thing, she said when I had that thought go deeply into my system, I felt better physically. I've had a sore knee and I've had feet that bother me and I can't be sure if I'm going to stand up whether they're going to hold my weight. And she's not a big woman. She's tiny. Um, she said so many things improved physically because of taking in that sentence. So I just want to say you don't know where this is going to reach. I had no idea when I put it out how people would react. And here she's She's just glowing with this new new take on how to live her life. And so I wanted Wonderful. to tell you that. Isn't that great? Great, great news. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, um, we never know. That's, that's part of why we do the repetition in this work, is that we never know when we read one of these things that it's going to land differently for us and give us a different insight or inspiration for dealing with our own issues so right that's so true as for the podcast i listened to it two times and partly a third time um partly because their pace is different from what i feel as if i need and that's not a criticism of them it's there's so much lively talk between the two of them. It reminded me a little bit of um, We Can Do Hard Things, chatter, affirmation of one another, tangents, but there's so much in there that's worth getting. The thing I appreciated most about them was that they talked about what the word vibration means, and I've always found that very hard to put to use. How do I raise my vibration? I've listened to Abraham Hicks, and he talks about that, of course. But they said, well, it's synonymous with positivity or consciousness. They had a lot of um, synonyms for it. And I began to think, oh, yeah, I understand that I can get that. So I just wanted to say how helpful that was. And they also mentioned 
a man named Neville Goddard. Yes. And I, have you listened to anything of his? Yes. Do you recommend it as heartily as they do? Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can go in 25 I directions. Am so, I'm so hesitant to recommend anything to you because uh, it could just be another distraction, another rabbit hole for you to go down. <laughs> I know. But but oh, the yeah, essence of it is you're 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 probably not going to find anything substantially different in Neville Goddard's work than you're already getting from all of this work. Yeah. And because you know Neville Goddard and those writings is a part of the source material for lots and lots of people. And yeah. um so, so so give me a Give me a thumbs up or thumbs down on the uh, the one thing podcast. Oh, was definitely thumbs it, up. Okay, it was well, wonderful. I, I had a conversation with Dr. Gruder yesterday, and he oh, is ex- excited about having himself and uh, what is her name, Lori? Um, Lori. Yeah. Visit us on Mind Shifters Radio one morning. Whoa, that would be great. Which would be, which would be a nine o'clock for them, and eleven mm-hmm. o'clock for us. So and he's noon for us the, over here on the East Coast, I guess. Yeah, and so he's he's in the process of connecting with Lori about coordinating what weekday in the not too distant future she might join us with him. Yeah. on Mind Shifters Radio and call in just as you are now and have a discussion. Oh my about God. the one How thing exciting. podcast and or other things that they do. Yeah. Well one thing I like about that idea and I was thinking you said you had interviewed him before and you were going to again, right? On um, Journey's Dream. No? Yes. Yeah. That was because that was the reason for my talking with him yesterday to invite yeah. him to another interview. Mhm. Well, the thing about the way you present whatever you're presenting or the way you interview people sets a a, um, a rhythm that for, it's just the way my brain works, but I can settle into that and really take things in. It feels slower, gentler. Um, I guess <laughs> I was going to make a bad insult or something like Tim Hayes runs a show for dumbbells. <laughs> but we're not dumbbells. We just need time. <laughs> Time well, I would I would, lo- I would love to help you dismantle that negative self-talk in any way okay. I can. Thank you. Whether it's, you know, um, worksheets or tapping or journaling, <laughs> but that's, that's... Oh, boy. Yeah. Because I, I, I think it's far more accurate when you say, It's just about the pace that you get mm-hmm. personally comfortable with and what yeah. allows you to take it in. 
So, you know, you've got a mm-hmm. good workaround here that you've already mentioned. You listen to that kind of material more than once. Yeah. And sometimes people listen to material like that more than once, and sometimes they take notes the second or third time. Oh, yeah. If I hadn't or, been or, on a walk, the, I would have. Yeah. yeah, or they let themselves take notes the first time, and then the <laughs> second or third time they just listen without notes. Yeah. So they, you know, they they find workarounds for those people who speak at a fast rate or create a lot of structure in their thought intellectually that doesn't seem to fit. And that's got nothing to do with a level of intelligence or value. It's just about personal style. You know, it's like right. having a, a, a student in a classroom who learns really well by just listening and another student who doesn't really learn well by listening, but if he or she can do a hands-on project, they they soak things up incredibly right. well. Mm-hmm. So, I was interested and kind of entertained by some words they use, like the technology and the machinery, and I'm thinking... And at one point, they even mentioned a machine. And I have to go back and see what that referred to. Some kind of machine machine that can raise your vibrations. That's what I'd like to step into that one. But um, there are are lots of buzzwords in there. And that's just another thing that I have to work around. It reminds me of just people having a conversation the way you might at a church coffee hour. And I find those absolutely deadly. And I feel as if my energy just drains out of me when I go into a situation like that, where we're standing around with a cup of something in our hands and the whole table offers donuts and bagels and all kinds of things that are poison (laughs) to my system and so forth. And so it's true, just filtering, filtering, filtering to get to what they're saying because I thought they were saying fantastic things. Well, you know, I I present it as an option for people because my eye and ear tells me they're saying the same thing, a lot of the mm-hmm. same source material, a lot of the same critical ideas about learning to live from observation and questioning rather than belief and dogma, understanding that we've been kind of auto-processed into negative thought patterns and traumatic energies. You know, he talks about energies Mm -hmm. getting passed down generation to generation, or if you want to think of it that way, from one lifetime to another. It's the same kind of material at many different levels that Dr. Rice Mm -hmm. talks about his workshops and that we've been talking about on MindShifters Radio, whether we're introducing a book that somebody read about that kind of thing or, you know, we present one of their um, lectures or you know, whether we're talking about Guy Finley and his lectures, it's so, mm-hmm. so similar to my yeah. idea that I thought, okay, this is valuable to introduce it to the MindShifters Radio group. I think that's great. Not not because they have something that we're missing, 
No. But simply because they're talking about the very same stuff from a slightly different perspective. And they emphasize certain things, which you do too, but to hear it from, through other voices, like not being hard on yourself, for instance, or owning that they own, they have to work through these troubles too, or the fact that they said moment by moment you practice this. This is the long haul. There's a biblical yeah, yeah. story I've been looking at, um, Jesus healing the blind man. It's a very short passage in Mark, I think chapter 8, somewhere in there. And a couple of disciples bring a blind man before Jesus, and Jesus spits into his fingers and puts his hands on the man's eyes and then removes them, and the man doesn't really see that clearly. He says, well, I see men walking like trees. They look like trees. And so Jesus goes, goes and does it again. And I'm thinking, that is a wonderful permission to take time and to allow that some things take time. Um, it was the second time around that the man could see. It's, it's a gorgeous little teeny story, but these people were emphasizing that this isn't once in a lifetime done deal. Most of us work on it. And that, for me, took care of this you know, we've heard in Eastern religions a, a, a person will sit in an impossible pose with feet tucked up crosswise, toes over the opposite thigh, and they're sitting there with their fingers in a certain pose, and they reach samadhi, and they're never the same again. That model was my model for years. I thought, oh, my God, you know, wouldn't it be nice if that happened? They're allowing us to take the slow road and kind of promising that it'll lead you there. They they emphasize that quite a lot, as you know. I mean, just listen to it too. Anyway, I just got a lot out of that pair. And, well, and I think and it's great you're going to have them on the show. It, well, we're going to work on it. The, the idea is that yeah. different minds, different people's minds work in different ways in different patterns. You know, Dr. Mm-hmm. Michael Rice has a story. <laughs> you got to love this guy. <laughs> no. he, he, he talks about how he, this is very early on in his career when he decided he'd go out and teach this stuff. And so he's got this, you know, he's got this incredible mind that lets him have you know, two doctorates or three or whatever. He's got a doctorate of naturopathic medicine and a doctorate of metaphysics. And he, he he said the other day on one of his shows that whenever he gets a chance to go visit a new master, he, he, he goes there and sits with the new master. He went to somebody has got some right. physical, medical massage or something. Right. He went. So he's got that kind of mind, right? Yeah. That, that here he is still doing that stuff, mm-hmm. taking classes or whatever, reading yeah. excessively and all that. So mm-hmm. he's got this thing where he's going to go be teaching in front of an audience, and mm-hmm. he maps out 
and he agrees to do a morning and an afternoon session. And in his morning session, he has this talk down pat. He's got his notes, he's got his outlines, he's got all this, and it is a horrible failure. It doesn't go well at all. And he said, if he hadn't already agreed to do an afternoon session, he would have just walked away and never done this again. Mm -hmm. But something happened within him, and he said, just go out there and wing it. And the afternoon Mm. session happened, and he let intuition and the flow go, and, and it was perfect or, you know, so much better than the morning that it saved his career. And he learned he's got a he does a lot of the research, he maps it out, he's got a lesson plan, etc. But then when he goes out on stage, he lets intuition guide him about where he goes. Mm-hmm. Maybe a comment from the audience, maybe a comment somebody says to him when he's on his way up to the stage. So he might start the, the talk in a different place and he goes with the flow. And he learned that's the way his mind works for his presentations. Mm. Well, that's not the way everybody's mind works for presentations. I have, I have a history of working with quite a few public speakers, and I was an executive director for a group of people that were networking specifically to grow their business or have a professional speaking business. And some people, if they go up on stage to wing it, the audience is gone before they're done. <laughs> it's that oh, painful. Geez. You know, it, it's like well, the it's opposite amazing. of... Well, it's it's just like what happened when Michael Rice tried to do his in a rigid way. It was just miserable. It didn't work well. Well, it, it didn't speaks fit well that they came back for the afternoon session. They didn't disappear. Well, and it may have been a different group of people. We don't know. Here's Here's oh. the idea. The brains work different ways. Styles are different styles. So here's this guy, David Mm -hmm. Gruder. He's got a history of working with business as an organizational psychologist, and he's also worked in the clinical field of psychology. And his mind maps things out Mm -hmm. in a very structured way. So I was having a conversation with him yesterday. He said, yeah, I've got this new project going. It's called the Center for Enlightened Self-Sovereignty. He says, I'll send you some stuff. <laughs> and so here he sends me the stuff, the Spark Blueprint Roadmap. Mm-hmm. He's got a Spark program. It's got five ingredients and eight milestones and activities to achieve for each milestone. Mm-hmm. And it's a I know it. long, two-page, small print PDF. It's full of words. It looks like Dr. Michael Rice's worksheet, right? It's just full of stuff. I know, that IRA, IRS form. (laughs) And that's the way his brain works. And Mm -hmm. he's going to map out a series of steps that you can take to reach the goal, very specifically. And his Mm. brain works that way. So it's it's an entirely different style than the way mine does. Yeah. And some people may find value in it, and we'll give it a shot. We'll we'll do our best to have them as a team, David and Lori, come and have a conversation with us about what they're doing with not this Center for Enlightened Self-Sovereignty, but 
the the one thing podcast the idea of learning to live through observation learning to ask to be shown questioning you know what you believe and understanding you know in various ways that there's a lot more going on here than your conscious logical mind can show you yeah so you know you don't need to miss out on it just because your conscious logical mind can't show it to you you can get access to it if you have some willingness to question and open yourself and try new things so we'll try something new we'll we'll go back to having uh some people if they're willing come on the mind shifters radio uh i guess you would have to call this a podcast at this point in time and um we'll see what it might stir up for us Mm. Well, he was asking for comments and ideas in that particular podcast. I don't know whether it's the most recent one he's done, but he said, tell us what to do next. What what grabbed you? We don't know what we're doing next. So he's got that kind of openness. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. He mentioned someone on that podcast who um, kind of knew the Bible and was very interesting about making commentary on the Bible. Do you remember? Was, that wasn't the Neville man, was it? Neville Goddard? Do you remember? It's not ringing a bell right now. Um, oh, okay. it doesn't matter. And it, it, it might just be... Uh, my brain might just be on overload right now because it was this morning I was listening back to Michael's Rice's talk yesterday about all the Bible and all the Yonan oh oh, codex yeah. and the right. You know, Michael, there are some. Go ahead. Well, it, that's just another example. You know, yesterday's second half of the show with Michael Rice is another example about how he just goes wherever his mind goes. He just, he's not, he's not taking some kind of a structured approach to this. So, you know, he rambles for 30 minutes and then says, let's see if there's any, any callers. And then maybe we'll get back to what I was reading. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm thinking, what? My mind is fried. Yeah. I haven't been able to follow all that. I listen to it, and I want to come out the other end. What I want, I should ask him. I, I want to know, all right, is this Kaburis manuscript the original, maybe it's copied, but it was copied from an original Aramaic text, and is that so, the first time so, this stuff was so what put you, what, down? So here's, here's what you're going to hear. Here's what's what? in the Enlightenment. Something to the effect of, this is a 6th century copy of a 1st century Aramaic Bible. So, that's the kind of thing I've heard over the years when Michael talks about it. It Mm -hmm. changes a little bit here and there, right? When when, when the story happens. But the essence of it is that it's like the, the, the second level copy of an original first century 
or second century, depending upon you know who's telling the story when you hear it. Bible. So it's the oldest known copy. I've heard him say that phrase over and over again. Right, the New in Testament. Aramaic, but was the yeah. Aramaic written firsthand, or was it a copy of Gospels written in Greek first, or whatever they might have been written in, or Hebrew? No, 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 then, that's, 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 that's the debate, right? Except that at that time, Michael says over and over again, Yeshua didn't speak Greek, no. That wasn't the language of his time. Right. And his disciples didn't speak Greek. They might have spoken it as a second language. They might have been, mm-hmm. you know, fluent in more than one language. But their primary language was Aramaic, which is, you know, very, very close to and uses the same alphabet as Hebrew. And and there are all kinds of details in terms of the technicality of that, but you can be assured it was not written in Greek and then translated into Aramaic. Good. I don't know enough that, about the history when the first gospel was actually put on paper. I thought it was early, like within 60 years of Jesus' death, something like that. I think it was Mark first one. Anyway, I haven't done any research. I just want to get the truth without having to work at it. <laughs> hmm. Well, and there's an aspect of this work that if you're a biblical scholar, it could be very, very important to you, right? And there's hmm. another aspect of this work where it doesn't matter. What matters is what is the teaching, And as I apply that teaching in my life, what results do I get? And that's far more of the core of what Michael has always presented ever since, Mm -hmm. you know, 20-some years ago when I first got exposed to this stuff. He he used to, my my first exposure to this work was a a four-hour audio CD Mm. of his one big lecture all of the other lectures came from that one lecture, that one four-hour lecture. All of his other workshops were breakouts from that four-hour audio. Mm-hmm. And in that audio, at the beginning, it said, feel free to copy this and give it away and spread it around. This work mm-hmm. has been registered, so it can't be stolen from us, but we encourage you to spread it around. Hmm. Why? Because the point is put the tools into the mind, heart, and being of every person on the planet so they can do with them what they are called to do with them. It's just it's like what I was reading and talking about I wasn't reading yesterday, but I was talking about yesterday in the way of mastery it doesn't tell you what to think it's a series of questions so that you can start observing what you're already doing to create your experience with your mind energy
and I I get the same kind of a sense from the David Gruder work and the Guy Finley work and the Diedrich Wolzak work, et cetera, et cetera. The right. Byron Katie work. Byron Katie doesn't tell people, oh, no, this thought you have that's negative is all wrong. Mm-hmm. Byron Katie sits with them as they step through the questions that she offers and the turnaround she offers so they can reach their own conclusion. Right. It does end up being the focus is on taking full responsibility for your thoughts and practicing changing the ones that don't sit well. and not blaming the world for who you are or what has happened to you, no matter what it is. Well, every teaching that has ever resonated with me does just that, what you're saying. Yeah. Mm. Not all teachings do, but the ones that resonate with me absolutely do. Mm-hmm. And that's, and those are the only ones that I'll share whether it's in my private practice or in a support group or on the Internet show like this mm. today. Mm. Yep. So that's why I, I, I like to reread portions of the Way of Mastery where it says, as I was rereading yesterday, so what is it that you value more than enlightenment, more than perfect peace, more than choosing for love moment to moment. And it's a really good exercise to ask yourself, okay, yeah. how do I understand that? Well, one one way I understand that is I just take a look at what I have in my life because what I have in my life has been created through the process of where I've chosen to value certain thoughts and certain behaviors and certain activities and certain pursuits and that's how I've created everything I have or don't have in my life today. Mm. And that's been, you know, that that it's like the force of gravity is in effect, even if I haven't had any classes to to teach me about what gravity is. Gravity is still having its impact on my life. Right. People say, well, you know, I I didn't create this. I did. Yes, you did. Oh, I didn't. I, I, I had no idea of this. Well, yes, that's true too. You didn't have any idea about how you were creating your life experience, and yet that's exactly what was happening. Right. So we move from being unconscious creators. This is another one of the things you'll hear Michael Rice say from time to time in his talk talks. You move from being an unconscious creator to a conscious creator. You you become aware of how the system works and how your choice, moment to moment, breath to breath, as they would say in some, some parts of the way of mastery, is actively creating your experience of life. Mm-hmm. And once you become aware of that, now you've got more conscious control over the same process that has been controlling and creating your life experience.
That's what we're after, helping people understand and then begin to work with their own creative process. And if the tools we offer are helping you with that, we'd love to hear about it. And if they're not, we'd love to hear about that, too. (laughs) Right. So any any other nuggets for us or questions or no no uh, I'll just listen thanks a lot Dr. Kim Okay blessings I will mute you so you can listen in and I'll invite somebody else to raise a hand we have plenty of people on the switchboard nobody else in the chat room our calling number is 563-999-3581 When you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, and we can have a conversation. So we've invited David and Lori, David Gruder and Lori, I forget what her last name is, to join us on MindShifters Radio, and they're trying to work out that scheduling. And I have, you know, on a regular basis, I throw out the invitation. Is there somebody else you think we should interview for, whether it's Mind Shifters Radio or the On Your Mind podcast hosted by Journey's Dream or a book that you think it would be great for me to read and present? Um, somebody recently through an email suggested Dr. Greenblatt, who is a psychiatrist who works actively at trying to help people get off of, withdraw from, successfully quit taking um, antidepressants or other psychotropic meds. And um, so I have put out a feeler to Dr. Greenblatt and... um, I think before I mentioned uh, Dr. Deb King, and um, what she offers in terms of her learnings from a near-death experience, and or several. So if you ha- if you know of someone like that that you either have enjoyed interviews on YouTube or you've read their book or you find them as an inspiring spiritual teacher as we talk about in this work I talk about one of my favorite quotes from uh, Guy Finley is that there's nothing more practical than true spirituality So if you have something that's actually helping you live your life more joyfully, productively, compassionately, share. Give us a suggestion. I will endeavor to connect with those people and or read the book and share it with the Mind Shifters radio group. So, in in lieu of anybody raising a hand, I'm going to pick up the way of mastery here and take a look at where we left off reading in Lesson 10. 
Again, a very provocative title for a lesson. The way is easy and without effort. And most of the people that come into my private practice and or the support groups, not to mention the Mind Shifters radio show, really don't feel like life has been easy and without effort. They've really struggled in various ways. And so when we stopped reading the last time, I think it was the day before yesterday, I stopped to highlight because in Lesson 10, my eye and ear says, here's kind of a, 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 a an invisible, a, a transparent little exercise. They don't, they don't present it as an exercise, but I read this as it says, you know, after you sit in your chair for five minutes a day abiding as Christ, you might say this following set of, statements to yourself and when I read these statements I think oh hidden in here is an actual exercise I can do right before I interact with anybody I can take a deep calming breath and welcome the presence of insight, intuition, guidance, inspiration, the Holy Spirit. I can invite something other than my conscious logical mind and all of these images of difference and separation into my mind in that moment, right before I talk to somebody. And then I will look out through my eyes at a transformed vision because I'll have acknowledged the, the truth that all minds are joined, and so I won't see a stranger in front of me. I'll see somebody who walks as I walk, who feels as I feel, who longs for peace as I long for peace, who is humbled as I am humbled, and who prays for peace as I have prayed for peace. And in that next moment, I can just breathe, tap into that peace within me, and extend it to them. I highly recommend this as a practice. I label it as another exercise, another assignment from the way of mastery. And again, it doesn't tell me what to think about them. It just has me inviting a way to look at them that acknowledges the, the vast similarities from one of us to the other of us. One of the ways I started talking about it years ago was the only significant difference between me and anybody I ever interact with is the degree to which either one of us is able to live from the realization that we're all the same. Now it sounds like doublespeak. The only difference between us is how we're all the same. And yet, there's some deep truth in it. The only significant difference between me and anybody I ever will or ever have interacted with is the degree to which either one of us is able to live from the vital, in-the-moment realization that we're all the same, that we're all connected, that there is only one mind. 
So in Lesson 10, the text goes on from there, and it reads, The way is so simple and so easy that the mind of the world overlooks it. The mind of the world is thinking that it simply cannot be simple. But that which is simple seems impossible to that which insists on complexity. And the mind that insists on conflict simply cannot accept that there is another way. Yet what waits before you is simply this. In the end of all your struggles, in the end of all your doubts, and in the end of all the moments of your unconscious conforming to the mind of the world, there remains the simple choice to be made. The choice to acknowledge the truth that has already set you free. Now they're going to try and state that truth in yet another way. Quote, I and my Father are one. It has been that way forever. It was accomplished in the being of Yeshua ben Joseph, who revealed to me the truth of myself, because he loved me. And if he can do it, I can do it. Even in this moment, I accept my destiny to walk this earth awake and at peace, in mastery and not in fear. And I begin my ministry now. Close quotes. The text goes on and asks, For who can you seek that can heal you? Who can you discover that can bring some form of magic to you that can overcome your own resistance to the capital T truth? Look high and low and you will not find them. No one can do this for you. Seek forever and you will forever remain a seeker. For the capital T truth is set within your heart, and all power under heaven and earth is given unto you. It is that very power that changes the momentum of the mind and heals every wounded perception. In the end of all seeking, you must look into the mirror and decide to be one who heals yourself. You are the one who decides from infinite freedom how to use the power of your mind in each moment. Therefore, the only question that a seeker of truth really, truly need to ask him or herself is this. Quote, would I know conflict or peace? Would I be right or happy? Would I see the complete neutrality of all events in this world and see them as wisps of a dream being birthed and passing away? Would I see myself whole and complete for as I look upon the world, I have judged myself. And as I look upon myself, 
I judge the world. Close quotes. This is the simple secret that I once discovered when I walked upon your planet. It was not about achieving some grand mystical state of consciousness. It was not about acquiring great powers that could attract the attention of thousands. It was not even about being able to manifest. Although these powers may indeed often express themselves through the mind as the mind awakens. But this is about accepting the capital T truth that is true always and being determined to allow that truth to be the foundation from which you enjoin each and every moment of your experience. They suggest the following statements, questions. Quote, I am awake I am safe. I am at peace. What do I truly want this moment to be for? What do I want to communicate to the world in this moment about what I value? For as I decree it, so shall it be, at least within the realm of my experience. Close quote. Now, I added some words and phrases there, but the essence remains the same. The text reads, Beloved friends, the way is easy and without effort. The way could be summarized as, You exist to extend your treasure. And your treasure is that which is laid up in heaven through the decision to remember only your loving thoughts. To choose to extend only your loving thoughts and to allow your actions to express or manifest in the field of time only the good, the holy, and the beautiful. Never is your freedom taken from you. Never in any circumstance do you lose the innocent freedom to teach only love, to be the presence of peace, to recognize that the world can give you nothing of value, just as the world can take nothing of value from you. When a child goes through a shift of awareness, they come to a point in their maturation process, it, not by struggle, not by design, not by processing, and not by any manner of strategies. The child merely, in an instant, looks at the toys that she was playing with and simply transcends them. The parents come home and the child has taken the toy and put it on the closet shelf. The doll is put on the windowsill, the truck is put away, and a book is picked up instead. Who makes that change? Not anyone outside that child. 
when you put aside any negative habit as you would perceive it to be, when you have given up placing value in something that no longer serves you, you merely transcend it. And it is done with. No big deal. No one does it for you. You simply decide. You pull back the value you have placed on something that was not serving you. You pull back the value you had placed on the objects that were the symbols of what you were in the past valuing. And as you withdraw the value you had placed on them, they simply drop out of your life. In just this way, enlightenment can be picked up. Unenlightenment can be put away as though it were a toy that you've unknowingly outgrown. Merely by looking at all of the effects of unenlightenment, of judgment, of tension, of bitterness, of resentment and hurt, and then asking the question, is this what I wish to have continue as my experience? Or am I willing to put the doll on the windowsill and pick up a book instead? This particular book would speak of life, capital L, life, a book that's full of wisdom, a book that teaches me how to step lightly in the world, a book that instructs me on how to be in the world but not of the world. That book, so to speak, is literally the depth of your own consciousness in which all things are already written. And that depth finds its source in your heart. You enter it through the process of forgiveness, through dismantling every judgment and every perception. You dismantle it, you enter it by dismantling judgments and perceptions, and you enter it by relinquishing your valuing of various things in the world. You do not turn to hatred against the world. You do not turn to despising the world, but simply relinquishing the value you had placed on it. You allow your time to serve you in the process of relinquishing what does not serve you any longer and relinquishing anything that would disturb your peace. So that's a little bit of Lesson 10 that we're reading for today. I thank you, Susan, for your comments and questions earlier. I thank you all for listening. I'll remind us that we have a support group available tonight. All the information you would need to join us for free is on mindshiftersacademy.org. And please remember there's a separate login information page for Thursday and a separate one for Tuesday because the login ID is different. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it.
You're welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of MindShifters Radio, and today is Thursday, February the 1st, 2024. Man, January was coming on really fast, didn't it? So we welcome you to the show. Today is day 14 of our Enlightenment study, and Michael doesn't want to call it a study, but um, for lack of a better word. And the archives can be picked up on our website at www.whyagain.org. And then you can go to the um, Kaboris and Enlightenment study, and you can pick up all the archives right there in one place. And we're also running it uh, simultaneously on Podbean. And we've had several people from other countries be able to tap in there. So I'm glad that that is working for them. It still comes across rather tinny sounding of a better description, but um, they said that it, it is working. So I'm glad that we're able to uh, have a venue where they can call in and listen without it costing them cell minutes and they can actually participate live. So um, we're glad that uh, we have that option on Podbean. And so we'll give Michael just another minute to dial in. And he is with us, so I'm going to say welcome, Michael. I am, yes. Thank you, dear heart. Delighted to be here and glad to be playing with everyone who is with us today as we look at the next piece of information in our work with the Enlightenment book, which is what we publish at this point that we have made public of the translation work done with the Kabor's manuscript. So delighted that you're here. And uh, before I move into, we're on page 12 of the text for anyone who's just received the text. And uh, we're toward the, uh, the bottom of the page looking at uh, acknowledgments. And so do we have anybody out there with a uh, hand up in the phone queue, sweetie, or anything happening in the chat room or on Podbeam? I can hear you talking through the in the other room, sweetie, but your oh. mute button must be on. Okay. I said Susan's hands up, but I believe it's left over from talking with Dr. Tim. Okay. Well, should we check with her and see if there's something on her mind? I turned on, on her microphone. Well, let's go for it. Hey there, young lady. Hey, how are you doing? Good. It's always good to hear your voice. Oh, how are thanks. you? <coughs> I'm better and better. It's just been a long month, oh, but I'm better and better in using the wake-up sheets. And, uh, life, is, life is good. Yeah, I've been, We are blessed. Uh, I know the tools are very helpful. They get you out of the muck much faster. So, yes, um, as a matter of fact, I was... Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just starting to say um, that uh, I, when you say it gets you out of the muck much faster, I was talking with someone yesterday who has been doing this work now for 30-plus years and uh, was perhaps could be described as maybe being in one of those folks who was in the original state of rage <laughs> and a lot yeah. of early trauma, addiction, mm-hmm. 
jail, father in jail, all that sort of stuff. And uh, yesterday he contacted me with a smile on his face and laughing. He's like, oh, I got a ticket last year, and I hired an attorney to take care of the ticket, and I thought I was taken care of, and I didn't know it, but my license had been suspended, and the police pulled me over, and the cop took my license and left with it, left me stranded there. And saying it all with a smile on his face, it's like, okay, here's my next layer, rather than being lost in the drama and trauma of the right. moment. So, so it was just, it's, right. it's just kind of sweet to see that sort of thing happening. Great. I do have a question. Um, you often mention about how we've been derailed so much by the translations of the Gospels into Greek and the Greek culture being so different that they couldn't have understood what Jesus meant um, when he was teaching. And right. I don't know how to put this without making it sound like a criticism. I mean, it's true when you go into much of what was changed and you end up with churchianity and you do I'm wondering about the people who are listening on the radio show there's a um, somebody once said something like that you have to be careful to take that you don't take away from people something that they I guess it's in reference to food if you don't eat meat and you think you're going to be hurt by eating meat, then I will honor that and I also won't eat meat when I'm with you. But I can't remember the exact... I just, I guess I want to ask you to be gentle with some of the listeners who might come on the radio show and not be quite ready to hear their world be turned upside down. And I don't know how you could change that because I can hear in your voice how frustrating this has been and how hard you're working to get the real stuff out there. So I wasn't even going to bring this up. It's just on my mind. I'm glad you did, and I hear you. I hear you, and I will will pay attention to that feedback and soften, although, you know, part of the way in the past I've done things is to confront people on their stuff. And and you're right, there's some people who perhaps are not ready to be confronted, but would be willing to listen. And so I'll certainly mm-hmm. um, take that into account. Well, you're being very nice about this, gracious. Well, hopefully I'm being human. Uh, yeah. Well, and isn't that what we're really here for? Yeah. I I I also think that we can somehow get there. I'm hoping because enough of the the truth of Christianity or what Jesus taught can reach enough people so that they'll be okay anyway. And that hasn't been proven out in large scale, to be sure. But I do belong to a church where I see the gospel, human life living in there, building community, being open across the board, welcoming, and 
a, a new pastor who helps people connect with one another on the most profound level. I had to go to a vestry retreat the other day, and I've done that before. I've been on several vestries, and I was dreading it. And this was like being in a mind shifter group. And he awesome. asked three questions. Yeah, he said, what, what gifts do you have to offer others in the parish and the parish itself? And I was bracing myself for either some false humility or some bragging. But what people actually said was, as I know these people, one woman said, well, I, I like to listen to other people. I find people interesting. And uh, people spoke very modestly about what they really can offer. And then the second question was, what's been the biggest challenge for you this year? In other words, the rector wasn't trying to teach us anything. He was inviting us to open up and get to know one another. And man, many people had had serious challenges and were grieving over the loss of a relative or a friend or one young man who's very soft-spoken, hardly speaks at all. He does our finances. And he said, my biggest challenge is praying to God and hearing nothing. He said it very softly, and he couldn't speak after that. I could tell that he wanted to cry. But that's how real everybody was. And, of course, I could mm-hmm. trot out the tools, but it wasn't a forum to do that, nor was it a forum like an AA where you can't give any feedback, which I find a real challenge in AA groups. You listen to the recitation, and then you just go right on to the next person, even though your heart's been ripped out of your chest. In this case, people were very kind and affirming without a lot of Speaking. It was just a very loving atmosphere. I was thinking, Michael Rice ought to see this. But anyway, <laughs> good stuff is in there too. That's awesome. That's awesome. And yeah, you know, I mean, scattered throughout the world in every arena, and I think more so in churches, there are genuine people who are genuinely about discovering the truth and doing their work. No question about it. I know I used to do a a retreat every year, a four or five day retreat up in uh, Hartford City, Indiana, and it was run by a Catholic priest and a nun. And they were, I mean, as genuinely about doing, the, the really living the teaching and doing the real work of Yeshua as anybody that I've ever oh. seen. Right. Uh, and yet in many circles, you know, the the the, uh, the, the toughness of the old, you know, priest idea and the old nun is, have, have really created a lot of abuse for people. But I people in that, that arena, cool. and I know, I know there was a, a particular church in, um, let's see, just south of Fort Lauderdale. I forget which town. There's a number of little towns down there, and uh, in mm. South Fort Lauderdale. And the uh, the priest who ran that after we spoke. I mean, he was just amazing. This guy had been a parish priest for decades did a lot of work he he would he actually with his own money went out and bought a truck so that he could go up and del- take food to the migrant workers in central florida who you know wow. didn't eat very well 
I mean, just did this yeah. as an individual. And when we mm. did the, uh, we we had been invited to do the Sunday service, uh, which the first time I was introduced to him and spoke to him, he's like, oh, you're, you're not a priest in our church, therefore I can't do that. And then he had attended something I did elsewhere, and he heard it, and the next time I talked to him, he's like, would you come and, and do a Sunday service? Well, I thought I couldn't do that. Oh, yeah, you're, you're going to do it. And and after presenting, he got up and said, this is what I've been pursuing all my life, and here it is, you know, take this and use it. So there, there's some amazingly genuine, gentle, sweet, awesome beings uh, who are expressing and others who are doing the best they can with the work that they, they have to uh, to move that forward, and hopefully we can all lift each other up a step. That's great. So joining you in that, and I I appreciate the, uh, especially when you speak about the work that your particular parish is doing with uh, the refugee population and the immigrant population. It's just... Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, they all are. Most amazing. He gave a sermon. He's a gay man. He's married to a man. And the lectionary reading of the day was the casting out of a demon from uh, the Gerasene demoniac, I think it was, but I'm not sure, actually. He, he said, what is a demon? Where are the demons? And he talked about a terrible experience he had had. He majored in Spanish in college, and right out of college, he got a teaching job, teaching Spanish. Loved. It was in a, a, a parochial school or a religious school, and all his interviews went wonderfully. And the contract was trotted out, and he signed it. And then another woman... Somebody else came in and said, by the way, we have a compliance rule or something here. Is there anything about you that, I forget how it was worded. He was supposed to sign, basically sign that he was a straight man. And he was shocked and horrified and hurt. And he was tempted to sign it and just say, well, he didn't have a partner at that time. He had struggled a lot with his orientation anyway. Mm. He ended up not signing the document and losing the job. And he said, demonic can show up in so many ways. And he didn't make the direct connection, but it seems as if, if you get a hardened view on something which shuts out a person, sort of draws the life blood out of them, then those are demons. And I, w- I should listen to his sermon again because I, I'm sort of half-baked here. I wasn't planning to bring this up on the radio show either. But he brought the idea of how do we experience the demonic in our own lives. Well, it might be something that chops off your spirit, saps your passion, tells you your passion is wrong, and so forth. So, and um, 
we're you know we're in a we're in Pennsylvania, which is about half half and half Republican and Democrat or conservative and um so he's preaching in a in a not altogether friendly area, but the way he presented it, you couldn't help but learn something and melt if you had any other point of view going. So, again, it's just he's practicing being very real. In other words, no demon, no demon there. And it affects everybody. And I think that's how we could heal our country, if we could just talk. I have a good friend who lives in a remote village north of here. She says, this is Trump country. And she said, but when I talk to them... She said, for instance, I know I'm going on, Michael, but I want to tell one more story, and then I'll get off. She was talking to a young mother who was a, um, voted for Trump and had big Trump signs on her lawn, and the mother was telling her that she has a teenager who wants to be a different gender. And the mother was horrified and said, that's wrong. And she said, why do you push... Uh, transgender, you know, why are you in favor of that? And she said, I'm not in favor of anything, but I'm trying to keep these kids alive. That's how serious it, it is for them. And the woman looked at her and she said, oh, my God, you think my child is in danger that way? And she said, I don't know your child, but if you are so against it, you might be hurting your child, alienating the child, and lots of young people are taking their own lives. Not only because of that, the pandemic, climate change, political stuff, isolation from the pandemic, so much of so many of them are hurting so badly. And the woman looked at her and said, you know, I better start paying attention. I better start doing more reading or something. But... So my friend said, that's all you have to do is you just talk to them. You just love them and talk to them and things soften up. So that's another thing. Boy, wouldn't that be great to be doing that all over the place. And you're not saying you're condoning anything at all. You're just saying watch out for the personal person your child is and go from there. Yeah, to function, uh, you know, to me it all comes back down to Am I functioning as love? Yeah. Or am I functioning out of somebody's set of rules? Yeah. And if the first law is the law of love, of functioning as a human being, then many attributes of love come into play, like compassion and mm-hmm. openness, rather than a hard edge condemnation because somebody's not following someone's rules. Yeah. And, I, and my my take on the Aramaic is I understand that we're demon. It's not about this creature that's out to get us. Mm-hmm. But whenever mm-hmm. we have something based in hostility or fear that we're in denial of, then mm-hmm. we'll project it and and we'll take our own projection. That will be the demonic force, but it'll be what's coming from our own minds. And the forgiveness yeah. of that energy is what's going to resolve or free us from, mm-hmm. you know, what in the vernacular the culture calls our demons, hostility and fear. That's the bottom line of it. And they can be so powerful that they can't, you can't imagine that they are 
originating in us. I mean, I have discussions well, with my daughter all the time about is, is evil a thing? Is our demons out there? And we always come back to saying no, but, you know, it's so powerful when it's in us and un, unworked with, light not shed on it. It's hugely powerful. Well, the, when you realize that we are creators, mm-hmm. what we can do with energies that we hold that are other than love can be pretty profoundly impactful. And mm-hmm. that's, to me, why the forgiveness tool is so important, that with the actual tool of forgiveness, we can embrace whatever is within us or outside of us and begin to move through those dynamics, being in control of our, of our actions and our thoughts. But they're definitely real conversations to be had. Right. Well, Michael, you know, (laughs) thank you for opening my mic. I got on my soapbox a bit, but carry on. You're doing a great thing by all of this. And I must say, yesterday was a challenge. You have said the history, you've told the facts, and I couldn't possibly regurgitate them back to you. My mind was a scramble after yesterday's session on Yonan and who did this and who did that and which thing came when. And Oh, my goodness. <coughs> of course, none of, it's, none of it is, I think... Uh important to get the uh, the what fors and the theirs and the thous all together is just to mm. provide the history to provide you know there'll be some people who'll gee they're going to devour that and they want to know more that's why I put that uh, set of, uh, of uh, references in but mm. none of that's necessary for taking the tools and putting them to work to Thank those goodness. who will, you know, it'll, it'll, yeah. it will be the opening point for them and, and uh, what, you know, might consume them until another space opens. So that's why I'm kind of <laughs> going to cover the whole gamut of it. You know, was, uh, there'll be, I anticipate with us having the archives of this, there'll be people who will have no access to this manuscript. And uh, that's why I'm going to, or why I'm planning to cover all of it to cover the whole thing, and mm-hmm. and then those who uh, who have a particular interest will dive into that interest, and right. you know, it becomes their thing to do. And right. the bottom line of it all is taking the tools and putting it to work. Yep. Sweet. All right. Well, any other thoughts for you today? No, Michael. Carry on. All right. Holding your lungs in our hearts, extending love in your direction. I can hear there's still a little bit of congestion moving, opening up, letting go. So joining you and letting go. Thanks. All right. You have a blessed one. Thanks. You too. All right. So there's uh, another section in the dedications 
the uh, in the opening of the text or on page 12 down toward the bottom and it talks a little bit more we talked yesterday a little bit about uh, Mark Schumann and so the uh, second to last paragraph in the room talks about Archdeacon Shaduk de Marshuman, this is the man that uh, that, Donald, that Dan used to refer to as being older than God, and he was with the Assyrian Church of the East, um, and he and Marshuman were both Middle Eastern native-born speakers of the language of the Aramaic, and from a family that had been in religious uh, life for um, several, well, in, in his case, his documentation went back some 3,000 years. And the reason why, as as Dan had written here, that Mark Schumann was his tiebreaker is because he had insights into the understanding, the history of of this whole structure of understanding, we might call it. And since that had been his life, he was just, you know, the uh, the ultimate practical authority, and to me, the one of the beauties, uh, one of the gifts to me that the Aramaic has given, is it's taken this whole body of work out of a theoretical place and put it into the place where we live. How does it really apply? And that's the, to me, that's like the touch that Mark Schumann put on it and that Dan put on it as well. You know, Dan's big interest was not theology. Dan's big interest was not church or churchianity. was how do we straighten out the wrinkles in people's minds and lives? And in particular, his area of work was in the prison. I mean, Dan was just, you know, I think about how when I would be at, you know, in a office, social service agencies that was just really there for primarily in a, in a pretty rough town, the prison population of the town. I mean, there were guys in particular who came through the door that social service agencies like, I mean, you'd cringe if you met them in a back alley, and they just almost worshipped Dan. Dan was like their the hand to their lives becoming human. He was the hand up for them and had such a deep uh, concern and intelligence in working with them. It was just amazing. And Mar Schumann was one of those that... Uh, really, I think he would say, this is just my thought, but that he would say really empowered him in that. So when Dan would send out passages of the manuscript, each scholar, Mark Schumann, or the other scholars working for the foundation, uh, would render their own translations and then Dan would bring that all together and at one point in the process I, I spoke I think a little bit about that, that word neighbor and I'd forgotten that the, the passage was actually here so 
the the difference between the usage of the word neighbor today and the original meaning of the word being someone who's mentally near to you. So you yourself were your own neighbor. And Mar Schumann explained, I know what the problem is, and I quoted this yesterday, and I hadn't realized it was it was actually coming up in the text, but explained that uh, others were using these new dictionaries, the ones from the 6th century, the one changed by the Muslim invaders. We must be using definitions from the 1st century to be true to the understanding of the ancients. It is people and insights like this that have made this work possible. And to me, one of the uh, most profound parts of this where so much of the world demands belief, you've got to believe, you've got to become a believer. We're not suggesting that you become a believer. We're suggesting you take the tools and if you put, and if you put them to work, you'll see that your mind and your life changes. It isn't dependent on belief. When people have falsity, then there's this insistence that belief is necessary. And all we're saying is, take the tools, put them to work, and watch what happens. Belief isn't required. Oftentimes, results are directed by belief. And if the belief is in error, people are directed to errant results. So we appreciate every one of the scholars who participated in this, John Chapley. John was, was as I understand it, I had never met John. Dan worked with him. But John Chapley of Catholic University was one of the you know, main contributors to the work and a really amazing scholar in the Semitic languages. And uh, Shafley kind of kept uh, kept his work with the foundation quiet, but he was, in according to Dan's uh, take, was one of the major supporters of really getting these first-century meanings down pat, getting it into the realm of. It works where we live. It isn't reserved for Sunday morning. And so if we look at the imprimatur, there's a picture of the imprimatur page. It's one of the pages that's been somewhat damaged. And the imprimatur would be somewhat like a, uh, a notary signature. And it's taken about 50 years to bring the manuscript or to bring the English renditions of the manuscript's thoughts forward. And as I said earlier, there were 25 different uh, scholars that were involved in doing the translation work. And the objective to bring as, as deeply as possible every nuance of the Aramaic language into the practical world, into the real uh, world where everybody lives. And one of the main things that 
this particular translation does, where others, this is manuscript here is acknowledging, gives you the what, the when, the where, the why, the who, and the big problem being that one of the things that's been missing is the how. How do you achieve it? And so we've been told we have to forgive, but how do you do that effectively? That was one of the big questions. And there was, there's little understanding of that from the Greek. And as we've spoken of many times before, that the idea of forgiveness has been turned into this idea of an end. For me, it's really clear that the whole definition of forgiveness from the Greek perspective comes from those who are very devout, card-carrying members of the one world religion of blame, that everything's always somebody else's fault, very little desire or ability to take responsibility for what one creates in their own lives. And when you live in that mindset, that it's everybody else, then, of course, the forgiveness process becomes about letting others off the hook. When you go to the Aramaic and you get the nuances, then the tools, the the nuanced understanding of these key words, then the tool of forgiveness becomes available. and hopefully brings it into clearer and clearer view for everyone who engages in it. So the objective has been to preserve and to really render each passage to the degree possible into the first century meanings of the words. Of course, words change change meaning over time. And uh, this is a, a piece that, uh, that Dan wrote. There's also testimony verifying the preservation and fidelity that has been maintained in the 2,000 years of history, pardon me, of history of transmitting the teachings of Yeshua. Although significant differences have occurred during the 2,000-year legacy, the overall messages and teachings of the Gospels shine brightly, untarnished, for the universal truths that they are. This rendering opens a treasury of deeper understanding into the Semitic culture and the language of the first century with its practical tools for intimate understanding and remediation of the human mind and condition. That's that that single statement would be my best understanding of what really inspired Dan to do what Dan would did, and that was to bring the practical tools for remediation into reach of everyone. And the this uh, section is uh, signed by the Archbishop Bishop of the. Orthodox Christian Institute, who were the caretakers of the manuscript, the caretakers that Dan turned the manuscript over to. And so, um, actually, I, it was Donald, we, we call him Donald, uh, 
Um, we've, I've worked with him now for a couple of decades, very intimately. And uh, he's now in his 80s and suffering from... He was a man who was the most, in my experience, the most committed to reaching out and doing service to humanity of anybody that I've ever known. And unfortunately, he's suffering from dementia to some degree now. It was actually his birthday a couple of days ago, and I called, and I actually didn't reach him personally, but I did have a long conversation with the person who's kind of uh, functioning as a, a caretaker for him or sort of an assistant. But... Uh, just an amazing man, Donald Jolly Gabriel. Actually, he's the one that uh, performed Jeannie in my wedding when we got married back 19 or so years ago. So acknowledgments to, uh, to Donald Gabriel Jolly. We appreciate your presence in our lives and in our world. Kind of just going through this with this close a connection to it just opens a space of um, of appreciation and sweetness for me. So the preface to the text, and unless we have any questions or thoughts, Jeannie, do we have anybody with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? No, it's quiet. Okay. Well, then let's head over to page 17 of the text in the preface. In 1970, the Yonan Codex Foundation of Atlanta published the precursor of this rendering in the New Testament in a small pamphlet called Enlightenment. There's an earlier edition of this book. In it, a few pages from the Gospels of Matthew and John and the Aramaic of Yeshua of Galilee were presented. The work was unique in that it sought to bring directly into English the meaning of Yeshua's words from his ancient Aramaic. Previous to the Aramaic being rendered into English, Western scholarship had only translations of his words from Greek and Latin sources, which in turn had been previously translated from Yeshua's native Aramaic. So the, the, between the Greek, the Latin, all kinds of Overlays would be a good word for it, happened. And what Dan was about doing, along with Yonan and the other translators that were working with the, uh, the manuscript, was bringing the original into as clear a view as possible. So the way that it was written, the, the beauty and truth of the ethics and morals of those Bibles became the basis of Western cultures and their ordinances. Having been tainted by the misunderstandings of the intervening languages and cultures, translations from Greek and Latin sources are lacking in the fullness and understanding of the eternal laws underpinning the truths presented by the sage of Galilee in his ministry while here on earth. And this this word laws is is such a uh, a big piece i think of what has tarnished the original understanding 
and we've spoken about this before, but it fits very well here as a foundation piece. We need to forgive. We need to let go of thinking as the Greeks have tainted us, as most of our cultures tainted us into believing that law means there is a superior that's standing over you with a stick that you have to obey, that, that a set of rules have been laid down, and you better obey those rules or you're in trouble. And we see that coming through so many minds today. But in Aramaic, that word law doesn't relate to there's a superior that made rules for you to follow. This whole rule game. And, the, and you know, we hear people talking about how the law has been abolished. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just so silly on its face because men don't want others to rule over them. They want to be their own lawmakers <laughs> to a great degree. Men have tried to abolish the law, and they've even spoken about, well, you know, it's gone now. Well, to somebody who's standing on the top of the, uh, the ledge of a 20-story building, that the laws have been suspended. You're not under the law anymore, and you know, I invite them to go ahead and take a step off and watch how quickly the law of gravity steps in. And this word law in Aramaic is simply how it works. How it works has never and never will be abolished. Men want to get rid of the rules of the superior and become the rule maker. And that's what I think led to this whole belief that, well, we're no longer under the law. Well, good luck. I want somebody who tells me we're no longer under the law to stand on that ledge, that 20-story building. Well, I don't really, but we can do the thought experiment and see what happens. You know, just just cast a stone down in place of the person stepping off, and let's see if gravity's been suspended. It's not. And what the Aramaic reaches to is to understanding the real meaning of the law, which which intimates how how an understanding of how things work, how relationship works, how the mind works, how communication works. I mean, the the whole. I mean, there hundreds and thousands of hours of psychological research has gone on in the world and they don't handle one candlestick, can't hold one candlestick up to the understanding of what Yeshua gave in terms of how the mind operates. And when he gave us this word, Rachma, when they said, what's most important in the law? That, that this is a, a part of our structure and that it needs to be open in order for the human being that we are love to be present in our minds. Nobody will ever get that out of obeying some superior off in the sky somewhere. So there are eternal laws and, you know, and we hear people, you know, still say, well, we're no longer under the law, but then, and they're supposedly following Yeshua, but they hear Yeshua saying not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away. How it works is how it works. The understanding being reached for here under the eternal laws is how does it work? And these, the, the way these forces, eternal forces work are one of the gateways to understanding the truth of what's going on in the world. And that's what 
the Aramaic conveys when we understand or we can get back into the original Aramaic way of thinking. Ethics, a word from the Greek, and morals, a word from the Latin, indicate the socially acceptable actions of people in a given circumstance. To enforce these ideas of behavior, rules are made by men, rules that are inaccurately called laws. I mean, there was a time when nobody was, I mean, we talk about what well, we elect lawmakers. You can't elect a lawmaker. The way things work doesn't change because men put up a set of rules. Call them what they are, but they're not laws. And as Dan had written here, often they're nothing more than the whim of a seeming superior. Superior, of course, only because they have the means to force compliance. These ideas can be ignored and changed from time to time because they're merely ideas. However, there are laws, Yeshua informed us, that quote-unquote would not pass away. These laws are not a group of regulations made by humanity, but rather are brought about by the eternal forces in nature, hence eternal laws. In the West, we've mistakenly referred to morals and ethics as law, when in reality they are just established localized customs. In the ancient Aramaic, the word nemosa indicates rules which cover proper actions and behavior as determined by human judgment. Our regulations are civil codes. Also in the Aramaic, we're taught by Yeshua about orita, higher laws, which are the result of eternal forces acting upon the world and the mind. So there's a passage where they say to yes, you know, what's most important in the law? And they use this word, namosa. In other words, you know, what are the highest customs of men? And if you check that passage out in Aramaic, Yeshua doesn't say the most important thing in the namosa. He says the most important thing in the orita. He just changed the whole conversation. Those who are questioning are thinking in terms of the laws, the rules of a superior, which were mistakenly called laws. And this is Namosa. And he answers, if you really want to know what's going on, you've got to go to an understanding and an experience of how the eternal forces work. These eternal forces incline the human mind toward empowering, life-affirming behaviors. If we're in in harmony, if we're in resonance with the eternal forces, we're always going to be propelled, always going to be energetically inclined toward the highest and best possible behaviors. And we're never going to change these eternal forces. The sooner we understand that they operate without regard to person, the sooner we understand that it's we who want to harmonize with those eternal forces. Gravity will always be gravity. We have no choice about how these resultant eternal laws impact our lives. Our choice is limited to whether or not we become aware of and harmonize with these eternal forces. And that one line there would point to our intensive called Laws of Living. Laws of Living was a body of work that came out of the work with the Kaboris Manuscript, 
via Dan and emotional maturity instruction that he designed for the prisons. And then my work with under the title of Lessons in Living that we combine together to turn into the course Laws of Living. Yeshua taught that law, the higher law from the Creator, as that which is proper for the human mind. There was no word for such higher law in the Greek or Latin languages, and few even perceived its existence, nor were aware of the forces behind these laws. For example, example, Yeshua takes them so much for granted that he shocked Nicodemus is not aware of the basic earthly forces. John 3, 7, 12. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. And of course, that's from awareness of the cause level of being. You've got to be born into the awareness of cause results produced by the forces at cause in life. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest not the sound thereof, but you tell whence it came and where it goes. So for everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Yeshua answered and said to him, Art thou a master of Israel and know not these things? If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe when I tell you of heavenly things? So Yeshua was talking about becoming aware of these eternal forces, these subtler energies that are not of the material realm, but act upon our minds, our emotions. And so he's shocked that someone who's an elder in the tradition of his day doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Due to the lack of understanding of the fact of such forces and laws in the Aramaic elite and the words for such forces and laws in Greek, Latin, essential portions of Yeshua's teachings on the implementation of these laws could not be translated and therefore are not reflected in any of the Greek or Latin derivative Bibles. It just disappeared. And you look at this quote, Matt, Matthew 22:40. upon these two commandments hangs the Orita, the cause law, and then it's interesting in Aramaic, the word is possessive, the cause law, the Orita, and its prophets. Those who taught it were a possession of the law, an expression of the law itself. So pivotal in Yeshua's message were the higher laws that his level of expression was unattainable without them. And he made it clear when referring to those two great commandments, his expression for the higher laws, the Orita, that everything that one might want hangs upon understanding that. And that's the starting point for a depth of understanding, for moving in the direction of the ability to be attuned to 
and follow the subtle guidance that comes from the eternal forces that act upon us rather than from the emotional traumas, the thought disorders, the cultural messages, the forces that were instilled in many cases purposely by the elite or the controllers or kings who really don't want people to be attuned to follow or even know that such a thing exists as these eternal forces. So Dan, realizing this, began his quest for a more complete understanding of the Orita and the words that most fully expressed it. The first task on this path was to find the most ancient and reliable source for the Orita possible. It soon became apparent that he had to return to the same expression of these laws as was used by Yeshua of Galilee. This required finding a reliable manuscript in the Aramaic, the language of Yeshua, complete with the meanings as his audience would have understood them. His search led to Dr. Norman Malik, or pardon me, uh, Yonan, a native speaker of the Aramaic with a family history of this search for truth dating to the first century. And then the Yonan Codex was formed between Norman uh, Yonan and Dan. The Yonan Foundation had available from its beginning the Yonan Codex, the family Bible. It was written in the Stranglio script, the first, of the first Christian church. Experts who could and did read major portions of the text estimated it was written somewhere between the 6th and 13th centuries. And it's now on the display. And I believe this is still true. I believe his manuscript is still at the scriptorium in Chicago. And of course, while this treasure was of great importance, its fullest, fullness could only be explored with the first century understanding of the idiom and words. To this end, Marshuman was recruited and joined the foundation. He was a nephew of the celebrated patriarch of the Assyrian Church of the East. His holiness, Mark Schumann, the archdeacon deacon was his protege. Among, among his staggering wealth of knowledge, Archdeacon Marshuman brought first and second century understandings of Yeshua's words as he would have used them, thereby laying the groundwork for the quest at hand. That kind of gives us a taste of how Dan was thinking and moving and this was before I came on the scene and began to work with Dan that's some of the the history as shared by Dan and we are down to just the last few minutes so what do you say we uh, open the space for a question or a thought if anyone has anything to share with us anything on your mind if you're on one of those stations where we can't see or call in number it's 563 999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly. And then if you have a question, if you push one, that will raise a hand in the control panel, and Jeannie will greet you and introduce you by your phone number. So, Miss Jeannie, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? No. And we've got little under, a little over three minutes. So somebody press one. Give us a quick question. 
All is silent. Well, then, what we'll do at this point is invite each one to enter into the practice. If you're not using the tool of forgiveness, I'll invite you to go to your app store on your phone, type in the words Heartland, H-E-A-R-T-L-A-N-D, one word, Aramaic, A-R-A-M-A-I-C, forgiveness. You'll see an app come up with a heart, a red heart glowing. That's our app. And, and remember, we're we're going to combine kind of a study here, but what we really want to invite people to do is to really do the work that the first century Aramaic prescribed. And the, the primary, the most profound and powerful piece of work is to engage in the process of forgiveness. Over the last 43 or 44 years, I'm not even sure exactly what the date was when this Aramaic study really first grabbed me. It's long gone by. But something in that range, the underlying dynamic for me has been the practice of forgiveness, the practice of moving out of the one world universal religion of blame, having conversations in my own mind for what was in me that distorted the truth and cleaning that up. We can hear the truth till the cows come home but if there are distortions in our minds, our listening will be different than what we hear. If we define hearing as what happens when air molecules move a drum in our ear and cause electrical signals to happen to our brain, that would be what we listen to. But then our hearing, what, what the brain interprets that of as, is oftentimes totally and completely different. One is the perception constructed by the mind and everybody's perception, because the brain cell structures in every mind is, are different, everyone's perception is going to be different. The Aramaic is always pointing toward looking at the, or experiencing, listening to the actuality of the moment rather than the constructs of the mind that we call reality or perception. And it is the use of the tools that allows each person to approach the actuality of the moment, to come to the point where these eternal forces that Yeshua was referring to and that we've just been talking about become the foundation of our understanding rather than the perceptions which oftentimes introduce the distortions of hostility or fear into our mind's constructs and therefore void the experience of actuality. The Greek language comes from perception and always points to perception. The Aramaic moves toward the experience of actuality and gives the primary tool for moving realities out of the mind that would distort actuality. So the use of the tools will reinforce is always a key component, the application of forgiveness. So you can download the app. You can go to our website, whyagain.org, and in the upper left-hand corner, you'll see a button that says Start Here. Click that button and follow the links, and you'll be walking through into the how-to 
of first century Aramaic forgiveness. The real objective of this work that we're doing through this particular series is to hopefully inspire each person to put the tools to work and come into direct relationship with the eternal forces in the creation rather than their mind's perceptions or constructs which oftentimes introduce generational patterns of error into perception and therefore void because of the noise of that void our direct interaction with those eternal forces that Yeshua was talking about. So we're delighted that you're here to participate. Hold the space for you to have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world, and the world is certainly in need of it. Blessings and much appreciation for joining us. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.